Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 107. This was brought to my attention today. I, I was not aware of this, but apparently I am bound by the NCAA collegiate football rules while I am in Jack Price Stadium. So for those who are unaware, I work with the marching band doing uh, audio engineering and recording during during the games, which is all fine. It's not like I'm going to go break the rules anyway, right? But technically, according to the rule book, rule one, section one, article six, part B, says that these specific people are subject to the rules. All of them are obvious, but in their audio and video system operators, which is me. So fun fact, I am bound by the rules. Not that anybody was surprised. It's not like I was gonna go run out in the field and, you know, I don't know, do a legal tackle or something or chop blocks legal in college. But depends on the situation. That's fair. Inside outside the tackle box. But I thought that was kinda interesting getting called out there. It, it, it also does say in a different rule that uh, you are prohibited from being on the playing surface, period, if you are not a player or coach. Therefore, you wouldn't have to go out onto the field and do something against the rules. Technically. Going out on the field would be against the rules for you. Technically, I can go out on the field, but I have to have permission from the referee. That's also in that rule. So if I go up and ask him nicely, hello, sir, may I enter your field of play? He'd still say no, but I mean, maybe he says yes. Who knows, right? Hello, Mr. Referee. Can I be the 12th man for Iowa State today? <laughs> Bye. Oh, uh, that would be awesome. What an episode we could have if that happened. Uh, no, because you'd be pretty much dead at the end of the... <laughs> at the end of the... <laughs> Those people would flatten you, Wyatt. Give it the old college try. Anyway... Wyatt did not get penalized at this most recent Iowa State football game. And frankly, Iowa State didn't do much wrong the entire game. I don't have much to say about the game except just, wow. For those who didn't see it, 45 to nothing. Iowa State knocks off um, Kansas State, Purple Kansas in Farmageddon. Um, that was probably the most complete game i've seen the cyclones play since um uh what year was that 2015 when we beat texas when we shut out texas on halloween this is probably the best game i've seen iowa state play since 2015 halloween when we shut out texas yeah so what we had been harping on a lot recently was that iowa state plays well but they don't play a for a full 40 minutes Look at the Baylor game. Brock Purdy was atrocious in the first half, but fantastic in the second half. Uh, Iowa State played really well in the second half of that game. Look back to uh, Oklahoma State. Way too many penalties in that game that killed us a lot. This is one of the first games that Iowa State played a full, complete game. Offense, defense, special teams, penalties, and turnovers. We didn't turn the ball over at all, forced K-State to turn the ball over. And when you hold K-State to 149 total yards on offense, uh, you're doing something pretty well, especially since the only momentum K-State had in the entire game was its first drive in which they gained 62 yards 
but then the Cyclones defense stopped them on fourth down as they uh, tried to go for a touchdown rather than a field goal because they knew touchdowns were probably going to have to win this game. But after that, they only gained 87 yards for the rest of the game. Mike Rose was again special on the field. He he is playing himself into a potential uh, All-American, either first or second team All-American this year with the type of play that he exhibited on the field for the Cyclones. And Matt Campbell continues to just speak the utmost of praise for what Mike Rose has done for the team, as well as Matt Campbell said, you're probably seeing the best Brock Purdy that you have seen in an Iowa State uniform in that game and uh, stemming back to the second half of the Baylor game, which is a good thing. The Cyclones are getting hot at a good point in the season for what is coming next. But Mike, you want to talk about your play of the game? Yes, my play of the game. Well, I've, I've got two, but this is, this is the first one. First play of the game, you're on the first drive for Iowa State, right? And Iowa State has themselves backed up at something like a third and 13, right? So Iowa State is looking at a near certain punt. Now, you throw a about a four-yard uh, slant coming across the middle on third and 13, but which is – and, I mean, Hutchinson, who caught it, had a great run there. But what I really want to highlight is out of the backfield, Jaleel Brock out of the backfield – Yes, Jaleel Brock is still on the roster. Um, he was seen as a recruit as um, Brees Hall's equal. Obviously, it has not been the case. But what I want to highlight is despite being relegated to probably the third or fourth running back on this roster, on the field in that situation, swings out of the backfield and lands the key block. He absolutely destroys the cornerback um, who's in the middle of the field on that left side that allows Hutchinson to turn what otherwise probably would have been a six or seven yard gain on third down into the 17 or 18 yard gain and a first down that the Cyclones needed. Without that, you're going to see the Cyclones punting to K-State, who has an amazing punt returner, right? You're going to see three and out on the first drive with not much, a punt, right? This game looks very, very different if Brock does not make that block. Jaleel Brock does not block. That is my play of the game. Because without that, I think the momentum shifts completely. For a fourth string running back to not get his head down and to go ahead and make that play that absolutely needed to be made, that was my play of the game. That was phenomenal for Brock. That was the play of the game. So we already talked about some of the stars of the game, but I just want to highlight all the overall numbers. Brock Purdy, 16 of 20. He was methodical in this game, 238 yards. Uh, He was averaging 11.8 yards per attempt. He had three touchdowns uh, threaded to the needle to Charlie Kohler had a great opening touchdown pass. That was a great throw to Joe skates. Uh, And then the throw to Xavier Hutchinson Hutchinson probably made the catch of the game. uh, Maybe the catch of the week in the big 12 twisting to uh, adjust to that ball as Xavier Hutchinson finally is starting maybe to see, to get into his stride a little bit, you know, without uh, a lot of time in summer camp and spring ball this year, uh, he it's taken a little bit to get him into the offense, but six receptions, 111 yards and one touchdown uh, on the day. Brees Hall, again, just keeps putting himself into uh, the talk, the conversation for a Heisman, uh, being a Heisman trophy finalist this year. 
15 rushes, 135 yards, average nine yards per carry, two touchdowns on the day. He is still leading all of the college football ranks in uh, total rushing yards uh, on the season with 1,169 uh, in rushing yards per game, 146.1, which is second in the NCAA. He's leading every category statistically in the Big 12 in rushing, and he is top 10 in nearly almost every uh, rushing category in the NCAA as well. Brees Hall just continues to have a phenomenal year, and he is obviously the star of this team alongside Brock and Mike Rose. Yeah. Let's start. Mike Rose right now leads the conference in interceptions. Like a line, think about that. A linebacker is leading the Big 12 in interceptions, not a safety, not a cornerback, a linebacker leading the conference in interceptions. The, the thing that is a little bit different, though, about Mike Rose is you see Mike Rose in coverage way more often than most the majority of line, other linebackers in the conference, I would say. The, there are many times where you're seeing Mike Rose leak out to cover, uh, obviously, tight ends, but he also covers wide receivers and running backs pretty well out of the backfield, too. Uh, it just goes along with this scheme for Iowa State's defense, they rely on him to play some coverage, but he's also fantastic at getting to the quarterback as he did have a sack as well in this game. Yeah, just phenomenal play all around. I mean, I expected the Cyclones to win. They were two touchdown favorites, but boy, I did not expect 45 to nothing. That was a relaxing Cyclones game, which is not something we've seen. That was just fun to watch. And it might not be something that we see next week either as Iowa state arguably plays possibly one of the biggest games uh, of this decade for sure. And maybe of the pro in program history. Yes. Just ever Uh, as Iowa state number 15 in the AP poll this week travels to Austin to face number 20 Texas at 11 AM on ABC. Uh, Some of the keys to the game that I had and Mike will talk about one as well. My key to the game is Mike Rose versus Sam Ellinger. This Texas run or rushing offense is nothing to write home about as Sam Ellinger is nearly leading the team, if not leading the team in rushing yards. Uh, And that's typically not what you want as your quarterback being your leading rusher. But Mike Rose, I would assume might play a little bit of a spy uh, on Sam Ellinger this week. Can he make those tackles in the open field and bring that big body Sam Ellinger to the ground? Because that's that's the difference maker is Sam Ellinger in his legs, being able to scramble for 12 yards on a third and, third and 11 or a third and 10. Keep Sam Ellinger in check that way. Make him throw the ball, force him into bad decisions. On the offensive side of the ball, run the ball effectively with Brees Hall. Uh, this Texas defensive line might be the best defensive line that Iowa State faces this season in the Big 12. And that will hopefully set up some play action against a very susceptible Texas secondary that has been beat uh, on numerous occasions by the likes of OU wide receivers, as well as Oklahoma State wide receiver and TCU wide receivers in some of their losses that they've had this season. So, Run the ball with Brees Hall. Make sure you continue to feed him, no matter if he doesn't have a great first quarter or even second quarter. Keep him going. Set up the play action. 
Yeah, and my last key to the game is going to be the tight ends, right? Texas in the secondary is really undersized. They don't have a, uh, a corner on the roster who's listed above six feet, right? This is where I expect Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen and Dylan Sainer to have a feast day against the shorter corners and safeties in that Texas secondary. You're going to have six to eight inches of height advantage routinely on the players that are covering them. Throw the ball up to those tight ends and let them work. That's going to be the key on offense. Brees Hall and the tight ends. The tight ends can match up well against this Texas secondary. I like this matchup for Iowa State. It's very, very true. And even if you even if you don't come down with the ball, throw it up to him anyway. Maybe you get a holding or a pass interference uh, on the play too as Texas is trying to scramble and make up for that size differential. That'll obviously be something to watch. Huge game on Friday, some Friday football for all of our listeners yes. out there. Yes. Um, just as other notes, the line opened as a pick game between Iowa State and Texas. It has since moved in Texas's favor. As of right now, Texas is a two-point favorite. Um, and ESPN's Football Power Index really likes Texas, giving them a 72% chance to win this game. I don't know why they like Texas quite that much, but – that is what FPI says. The Cyclones will not be favored, but this is definitely a game that they can win. And this is a game that you definitely hope they win. If they win this game, if they beat Texas on Friday, there are very, very few um, paths Avenues. that don't lead to the Big 12 championship. And this is just a trend. Everyone thinks Iowa State is an underdog. Uh, no one is really projecting them to actually finish in first place in the Big 12 really anymore or giving them that much reasonable of a chance. Only two games in the Big 12 were played this weekend. Big 12 Conference gave all uh, offense, defense, and newcomer of the week awards to Oklahoma. It was a sweep, which was absolute disrespect to Brees Hall and Mike Rose on the day. The Big 12 Conference, the media is completely biased towards OU and Texas, and I hate them. Moving on. Uh, also, just talk about the fact that OU is OU is now ahead of Iowa State in the AP poll. Also, that what's up with that? Like, we both have two losses. Both of Iowa State's losses are to top twenty-five teams. Do you know who only one of OU's losses is to top twenty-five teams? And guess who has the head-to-head advantage? Iowa State. Any voter who ranked Oklahoma ahead of Iowa State in those rankings is a fraud. you are a fraud, fraud, fraudulent voter. That's why we like the coaches poll. The coaches poll has Iowa State ahead of OU. Thank you, coaches. Uh, in other news this week, the Cyclones, uh, at least the men's team, gets back onto the hardwood as they open up their 2020-2021 season. Uh, they get Arkansas Pine Bluff, Bluff on Sunday at 1 p.m. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about this basketball team um, once we know a little bit more, there's so many questions up in the air about what this team's identity is going to revolve around now that Tyrese Halliburton, we'll talk about him a little bit later, uh, is gone. Whose team is it? Who's going to step up? Hopefully it's Rajir Bolton, who's been the one who's been around. Uh, this team is going to rely heavily on guard play. Uh, this is a definitely a guard-heavy team. Uh, outside of Solomon Young, George Condit, and Xavier Foster. Uh, you might not see a heavy dose of Xavier Foster to start this season. Uh, he was delayed in getting in and getting a lot of workouts in as he suffered a concussion during some off-season workouts and is just now finally getting back into the gym and getting into the swing of things. 
So don't expect to see much coming out of this game, as I've said already. Uh, these are games that typically Power 5 teams in basketball should win uh, in non-conference play. Um, this year, the Cyclones do have a very short uh, non-conference schedule um, that features a potential top five matchup in Iowa, against Iowa coming in. The- we will keep you apprised of all things uh, Iowa State basketball as well as Big 12 basketball. Uh, and just uh, for the record, the Big 12 Features a host of teams ranked in the top 25 already. Baylor in the AP poll comes in at number two. Kansas at number six. Texas Tech at 14. West Virginia at 15. Texas at 19. And uh, that's not even including Oklahoma State, which boasted the top recruit in Cade Cunningham coming in to play uh, there. So it's going to be some tough sledding in the Big 12 this year, a year where we could see six, maybe seven teams all battling to get into the NCAA tournament at the end of the season. This Big 12 is going to have to suffer through some attrition, and it'll be interesting who actually comes out on top. But look to see Kansas and Baylor again uh, battling for the top in Speaking of battling for the top, the NFL continues schmoving and grooving this week as week 11 happened uh, and featured a fantastic Thursday night football game, which I had talked about last week between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. It was a great game between Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, uh, but Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks finally got some defensive play to really help Russell Wilson out. Finally, Uh, he can't do it all himself. He didn't turn the ball over, however, and that was pretty much the summation of that game. They got a sack to end the game all, but all, but in the game, as well as the Seahawks outlasted the Cardinals. They take control of the NFC West on Sunday, Man, FedEx Field in Washington claims another quarterback. Uh, Joe Burrow is done for the season. He tore his ACL and MCL. His knee also popped out a play, popped out and back into a place on the play. He also suffered additional ligament damage. He is done for the season. Uh, and something there is a curse in Washington at FedEx Field. They they've got some issues there. They claim quarterbacks left. Uh, The Tennessee Titans were able to fend off the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore actually now falls out of uh, the playoffs if the postseason was to start today for the NFL. Uh, This was a rematch of the 2020 uh, uh, wildcard game um, between the Titans and the Baltimore Ravens, which the Titans bested the Ravens, and they do so again. Uh, The game goes into overtime and Derrick Henry just runs through the defense with a, uh, I believe, 25 yard plus touchdown uh, for those Tennessee Titans. Uh, Everyone in the NFC least is half a game back of the Philadelphia Eagles as the Eagles lose to the Browns and the Cowboys end up beating the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Lots of wild things happened in that game. Mike, do you want to fill us in? real quick on said Minnesota Vikings versus the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that was, that was the most Vikings, the most Minnesota sports game that I've ever seen. Like Vikings 
upset some teams, go on a three-game win streak, now coming up with three easy home games to put themselves right smack dab in the middle of the race, and you go ahead and you go lose to the Cowboys. Like, the Viking, yeah, uh, I, I don't even know where to start in this game. The Vikings fumbled twice. Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook both fumbled. Um, cornerbacks deciding not to make tackles on touch, touchdown runs. Busted coverage that leaves the tight end all alone on one side of the field on the go-ahead touchdown. Dropped passes on the final drive. Just missed opportunities left and right from the Vikings is what we had there. And, yeah, it's just it's just you can't lose that game. I, mean, I don't I don't have much else to say than you can't lose that game. I was I was not very impressed with the Vikings effort. The defense got no pressure on um, what's his face, Andy Dalton. Um, so he was able to pass pretty consistently. The only person you can't put this loss on is Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins had going into the last two drives. I think Kirk Cousins had a perfect passer rating for that game. He ended up throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Like a lot of blame likes to go on Kirk for a lot of different reasons, but this one you can't blame Kirk Cousins. He played a great game, so he cannot be blamed. So I, it's reported that on Friday, Mike McCarthy, in an effort to spur or egg on his team and rile them up for this game, brought out a sledgehammer and a bunch of watermelons and was smashing watermelons to try and hammer home some points. Uh, for the Cowboys this week. And it looks like it paid off uh, to the dismay of Minnesota Vikings. Pittsburgh, however, they're, they're rocking and rolling. They're still undefeated. Uh, big, huge Thursday night football game this week between the Steelers and the uh, Baltimore Ravens. This will go a long way to decide where Baltimore and Pittsburgh end up in seeding for the AFC playoffs. The Saints, without the 11 broken ribs and a partially punctured lung of Drew Brees, were able to win with Taysom Hill at the helm. Uh, They stymied the Atlanta Falcons the entire game, held them to just field goals, and did enough to win. They are still atop that division. The Dolphins finally stumbled. Tua didn't look great, was actually replaced by Fitzmagic. Fitzmagic couldn't lead the Dolphins back as... There is now a mystery slash controversy of who will be or if they will stick with Tua or switch back to Fitzpatrick going forward. The Indianapolis Colts tried their best to shoot themselves in the foot a thousand times and lose this football game, but they still end up beating the Packers. The Indianapolis Colts had 10 holding penalties thrown against them in this football game a ton on the final drive in which they were trying to run out the clock and couldn't because they just kept getting flagged for holding. They get into overtime as they were able to stop Green Bay in the red zone. Green Bay kicks a field goal, forces it to overtime. Phillip Rivers takes the, or Green Bay gets the ball first, fumbles, uh, fumbled by Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Indianapolis gets the ball. Rodrigo Blankenship, the rec spec sniper of a kicker drills one through for the Indianapolis Colts as they knock off the Green Bay Packers. The Chiefs rely on Patrick Mahomes in sun, on Sunday night football to win that game. The Chiefs defense, they are a top five passing defense uh, in every statistical category ex- against every single team in the league, but the Oakland Raiders. 
John Gruden has their number on offense. But when it came down to the end of the game, a minute and 43 seconds and two timeouts for Patrick Mahomes is way too much time, especially when you take covered zero to a completely new meaning and you don't cover Travis Kelsey in the end zone. Chiefs win that game and the road through the AFC West continues to run through Arrowhead. And the that is a wrap for your NFL football. Uh, we obviously are not talking about the Rams and the Buccaneers as they play Monday night, the same night that we end up recording this podcast for you. Next, we will keep moving along to another happy segment for Cyclone fans, or may, some people may be sad to go, but we're all happy to see him see his success in the future. We are talking about Oshkosh native and former Cyclone, Cyclone Blood Forever, Tyrese Halliburton was drafted 12th to the Sacramento Kings uh, in the 2020 NBA draft. A lot of people expected Tyrese to go in the top 10. He ended up sliding just a little bit. Um, some people thought he could be drafted as high as fourth. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of what I'm seeing and reading is, I think Tyrese fell to the perfect landing spot for him. He lands in Sacramento with a young team that is building a lot around Deere and Fox. Uh, this team was just barely missed the NBA bubble playoffs last season. Uh, so they are, they are not bottom of the uh, league anymore in San Francisco or Sacramento. I beg your pardon. And It'll be interesting to see how he grows and how he fits in. They are guard heavy right now, so they might not need him immediately, but he will have some time to develop for that team. Around the NBA, this is thanks or this is courtesy of one of our beloved listeners, Victor, as he sent me an entire list of uh, free agency transactions, signings, and trades that happened. So far in the NBA, I will run it down rapidly for you so that everyone is apprised of all things NBA. The defending champion LA Lakers get Dennis Schroeder from the Thunder. Uh, they turn Danny Green into a great guard uh, for the Lakers as they look to repeat next season. The Suns continue to get better. They sign Chris Paul and former Cyclone Alert Abdul Nader. Uh, goes to the Phoenix Suns as well. In return, the Thunder get Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, and a couple other players as well as picks. Uh, the Thunder have a absolute surplus of picks in the coming years to rebuild that team. The Rockets are looking to either rebuild or get some players to satisfy James Harden, Russell Westbrook, as there is some tension there. They get Trevor Ariza in the 16th pick of the 2020 draft, along with the 2021 projected first. The Trailblazers, uh, who they traded with, get Robert Covington. Uh, the Timberwolves end up getting Ricky Rubio from the Thunder as he is flipped, along with a bunch of other players in that deal as well. The Thunder end up flipping uh, Danny Green to the 76ers in return for more draft picks and additional players as well to satisfy some shooting there. Uh, 76ers continue to get more shooting help as they get Seth Curry. The Warriors, who lose Clay Thompson this season to a torn Achilles, uh, get Kelly Oubre from the Thunder. The Thunder continue to stock up on draft picks. Uh, Milwaukee 
the Milwaukee Bucks had a failed trade for Brogdon Bogdanovich, uh, the key power forward slash small forward of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, They end up getting Drew Holiday, and New Orleans in turn gets Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and a levy of picks as well. The Thunder and Denver also came in into a four-team trade there. Lots of players swapped. We will get into some of the signings now that happened this year. Dwight Howard quickly flips from the LA Lakers after he tweeted that he was going to rejoin, ends up joining the 76ers instead on a one-year $2.6 million deal. The Hawks get some shooting help in Denario Gallinari's probably his final last opportunity to cash in on a three-year $61.5 million deal. The Heat re-signed Gorgon or Goran Dragic to a two-year $37.4 million deal. It seems like the Heat are trying to overpay right now to run it back with what they had with Jimmy Butler this year uh, as they made it to the finals against the Lakers. Uh, the Kings re-sign Gardier and Fox, as I had alluded to earlier, a five-year $163 million extension. He is their franchise player going forward, who he will be playing along Tyrese Halliburton. The Lakers, uh, this was the Lakers got Montrez Harrell from the Clippers, actually, uh, flipped to the other locker room in the Staples Center on a two-year $19 million deal. This forced Dwight Howard to go to the 76ers. The Nets uh, get one of the best pure shooters in the free agent market this year in Joe Harris, signed him to a four-year $75 million deal. The Rockets signed forward Christian Wood to a three-year $41 million deal to get some height. The Wizards uh, re-signed Davis Bertans, who was fantastic this year, but a lot of speculation on uh, them overpaying. Maybe this is to satisfy Bradley Beal and keep him happy in Washington. They get him on a five-year $80 million deal. Uh, Gordon Hayward turned down $31 million player option with the uh, Boston Celtics. He signs with the Hornets on a four-year $120 million deal. Lakers re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope to a three-year $40 million deal to shore shore up some guard play. The Raptors re-signed former undrafted uh, player Fred Van Fleet to a four-year $85 million deal as he is one of the centerpieces for the We the North. The Celtics signed Jason Tatum, former Duke star, to a five-year $195 million extension. And the Jazz re-signed guard Donovan Mitchell, former Louisville uh, star to a five-year, $195 million. Lots of money being thrown around in the NBA as we expected. Uh, maybe a little uh, less or more depending on how you see some of these deals in 2020. But whoever your favorite team is, if you have any transactions or you have anything that you want us to talk about in our NBA segment, we will try and keep up with that. Send us a DM at 8311cast on Instagram or Twitter, as Wyatt will talk about later. Thank you, Kyle, for keeping us filled in on everything in the NBA, because I know I haven't been able to keep track of all of that. Also, we just shout out Victor. He was the one who brought all of that up. So, Yeah, go Victor. Thank you. We appreciate you keeping us all informed. Um, I am also going to keep you informed on some things, and of course, I'm going to keep you informed on the best thing, which is rules. Got two things to talk about in rules. Our rule, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I need to call out the officiating crew 
from the Minnesota-Dallas game, who obviously did not listen to 8311 cast a couple weeks ago when we went over the difference between illegal shift and illegal motion because they definitely screwed it up once, if not twice, during that Vikings-Cowboys game. Legal motion versus illegal shift are two separate things, Mr. Official. And I got very upset because they called the wrong one. Just saying. It was a penalty, but it was not an illegal shift. It was an illegal motion. Anyway, our rule for this week, we're going to go back into the NCAA rules, and we're going to come up with something that is talk about something that has come up a couple times in the last three weeks in the Big 12, and that is when it comes to bans and what they can and can't do and how it comes to penalties. So for those of you who don't know, about three weeks ago when Oklahoma State was playing at K-State, Mike Gundy was yelling at the officials a lot, complaining that the K-State band could not be playing when they were playing, um, asking for them to be told to be quiet or have a penalty called on them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then again, this week, um, K-State's coaching staff um, was talking to the officials about the Iowa State band being too loud and or playing when they were not supposed to be. So I dove into the NCAA rule book as it applies to bands to see, um, to see what the rules actually were. Um, so first of all, as Wyatt mentioned earlier, the first rule that matters is um, rule 1-1-6, where it does define bands and member band members as um, being held to the NCAA rule book when they're at the game. Um, the second rule that applies is rule nine, um, rule nine, section two, article, oh, what, is, what article is that? Sorry, article, boy, I should have this prepared. Wow, we are so prepared. Article two, section two, um, part B, Sorry, part five, part B, part five, yes, which says persons subject to the rules, including bands, shall not create any noise that prohibits a team from hearing its signal. Now, when there are not, when there are fans in the stands, it's really, really, really hard to make an argument that the band specifically is prohibiting a team from hearing their signals. Because, you know, the home fans usually do a pretty dang good job of making sure that's the case. Um, So in these COVID times where there are no fans in the stands, um, it is easier for a band to meet that standard. Now, um, there is no official guidance as to what actually defines that. It's up to the officiating crew to make a judgment call. Um, Some guidance that has been given to... um, to band directors um, to consider is that um, the band should probably stop playing once the center is over the ball. If the center is over the ball, then generally the band should stop playing, though that's not actually in the NCAA rules, that's a recommendation. Um, The officials will usually warn a band prior to penalizing them, um, but they are not obligated to. Personally, I've never seen a penalty called on the band for um, being too loud. We did have the one instance a couple years ago in some Tuesday night action where an official actually got on the, uh, the, the PA system and told the band they had to be quiet. Um, but that's about the only instance I can see or could find about a band actually being 
penalized for being too loud in the stands. But now you know the rules. It's something band directors will have to be aware of in COVID time. But we're not necessarily, I doubt we're actually going to see any penalties in this, especially in big games and big situations. Going off on a history tangent that I'm sure nobody cares about. Um, we weren't alive uh, back when this was a thing, but in 1989, the No Fun League uh, had a rule, a crowd noise rule, where the visiting team was allowed, like if the visiting team couldn't hear themselves in, in home team stadium, the, the home team could actually receive a penalty for too much crowd noise, right? So in 1989, they started really officiating this really hard, and there was actually a preseason Colts game where they took two delay game penalties for the, the, home, the home crowd being too loud, right? Like, talk about no fun league. Technically, this rule was abolished, not abolished, but stricken from the rule book in 2007. But it wasn't really enforced after that game because people were like, well, how much is too much noise, right? I think it's kind of interesting that uh, they actually did have a crowd noise rule. There obviously isn't one in the NCAA, but yeah, fun fact. Also, I did forget to say the penalty penalty for this is on sportsmanlike conduct, which is a 15-yard penalty and automatic first down should the visiting team or the non-committing team's band be on offense um, is the penalty. And technically with unsportsmanlike conduct, if you get two unsportsmanlike conducts and in the NCAA, you are disqualified. Therefore, I guess technically if it happened twice, they would disqualify the entire band. Well, it depends. How Who are they assessing that unsportsmanlike to? I don't think it specifies in the rule. It does not specify. Just... Uh, yeah, the rule book just says that Unsportsmanlike conduct, dead ball foul, 15 yards from the seating spot, um, flagrant offenders or multiple um, ejection. It just says players or substitutes can be ejected. So I guess they cannot eject the band. I'm sure there's some clause in there that allows them to eject the band if they really want to, but I feel like no football operations manager would ever allow that to happen. So... Not to but, mention the referees would get booed endlessly <laughs> for the rest of the game if you ejected the whole band. <laughs> that would be uh, that would be very entertaining. Yeah, I would not want to be the official that ejects the home band. That's all I'm saying. Um, moving on from our rules segment to our write that down prediction segment and our accountability session, we had one prediction come off the board. This last week, it was a prediction from Josh. Josh predicted that um, Alan Lazard would come back from injury this week from the Packers, and he would score. Um, Alan Lazard did come back from injury this week. He did play. He did have two catches for 18 yards, but neither of those two catches were for a touchdown. So for that, Josh gets a nah, nah. That is the end of our accountability session. Kyle, you want to start putting some predictions back up on the board for us? Yeah. So my prediction for this week is that it's going into basketball, and this might catch some listeners off guard, but I'm predicting that the Iowa State women's basketball team will win the Big 12 regular season. They'll be in first at the end of the regular season. I'm assuming Mike's looking up stats on this, so I don't have to. Yes, I am looking up some stats right now. What we've got is, um, so for reference, Iowa State was picked to finish third um, in the conference. Baylor was projected or was picked to finish first. Texas second, Iowa State third, and then a pretty big gap between everybody else. So 
According to that, Baylor, Iowa State, and Texas are clearly the favorites, but Iowa State was picked to finish third. As far as the rankings go... Hey, hey, Mike, was Iowa State picked to finish third? They were. Okay. As far as the rankings go in the AP and the coaches poll, Baylor is fourth in both of those. Um, Iowa State is 15th in the AP poll and 18th in the coaches poll, with Texas... Um, not ranked, but they would be ranked 26th in both of them if it extended out a little bit. So Baylor is clearly the favorite um, with Iowa State and Texas close behind. I mean, my gut read is like a triple. This is probably double or triple territory. I was thinking triple a home run. So if you were double, triple, and I was triple home run, yeah. like a triple. Triple to me. I definitely don't think it would have been a double. I don't I think, think so either. I said, we were, there. I said we were in the territory. It was like a big double or a solid single. Or a solid triple, not a solid single. Oh, my. Wow. Speaking of singles, Mike, do you want to go ahead with uh, (laughs) your prediction? I don't like that you're evaluating this prediction (laughs) so quickly. Anyway, I'm doing a two-part college basketball prediction. I'm going to predict that the Iowa State men finish in the bottom half of the conference, so somewhere 6 through 10 and that the IC women finish in the top half of the foot, sometime one through five. Even though this is the two-parter, this is not one of those scenarios where the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, or whatever that saying goes. I think this is the same. I, I do as well. Iowa State, as the women's team, as Mike already mentioned, most likely, barring catastrophic injuries to this team or absolute collapse, is going to finish in the top five. This men's team has an identity issue, I believe, going into this season. And with all the talent stacked up at the top of the Big 12, I don't think there's any way they breach fifth or higher at the end of the But for reference, Iowa State is, uh, was picked to finish eighth in the Big 12. Please. It's a single. Fine. Even though we're pretty sure the men's basketball team isn't going to be great this year, I still have a prediction of not only predicting that the men's will make it into the NCAA tournament, but that they will make it to the Elite Eight. So we have a... Mike's very obvious prediction, which is a single, and I think we have a very obvious home run here for mine as well. Two complete opposite sides of the street. Yeah, this this, yeah, this is a home run. This, this is a home run. We don't need to discuss that one anymore. It's a home run. I agree. What do we got from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's doing good. He predicts that Mike Patton, defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, will be fired this upcoming offseason. So note, not that he will be fired during the season. has to be in the off season. If he gets fired th- during this season or during next season, doesn't count. has to be fired in the off season. I have no idea what to give. I don't know. I don't either. What does the Packers' defense rank statistically this year, this season? I don't know. Packers' defensive rankings. Let's see. That's not useful. Here we go. Pro football focus. That's what I was looking for. A pro football reference, that's fine. Um, they are 17th in points, 12th in yards, 29th in turnovers. Mm. So average-ish. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily – I don't know if average defense is necessarily noteworthy to fire your coordinator. Is this his second year? Um, let's team? look here. Let me look here. Um, coaching 2018, results. 2018. This is third. Yeah, it looks like. Um, man, probably not. Double. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get fired. 
but there's a chance. So let's imagine that he does get fired. When do you think he would get fired before the season ends? No, I Af- in the off season. Uh, it's kind of I think you I make figured. that switch in the off season. Just wanted to verify, especially if they get run all over in the mm-hmm. playoffs like they did last year by the Niners. So we think in double or triple. My gut is double. I don't know. I was thinking I double. I guess saved. I don't know. Let's do it. All right, we'll call it a double. So with a single, double, triple, and a home run, which is called the cycle, <laughs> that concludes our write that down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Yes, I forgot the term cycle two weeks in a row. Fight me. That concludes the end of the episode, episode 107. We made it through 107 episodes of the 8311 cast, and I still don't know basic sports terms. Welcome to me. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclone. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.